you're listening to The Rick Z Show. I'm your host, Rick Z, and on today's episode, we have a singer, a songwriter, he plays guitar, he does a bunch of things. We'll find out what they all are, but first I have to introduce him. I'm talking about J.D. Coy. J.D., welcome to The Rick Z Show. Thanks for having me, Rick. I appreciate it. You know, it's great to have you here, and what's fun for me about being a host is I get to listen to people's music, get to know their music a bit, and I've been listening to your music for the last well, probably a couple of weeks now. You've amassed a huge body of work. How long have you been doing this? Well, I've been playing since I was a kid, of course, like everyone else. But I started recording in the early to mid-90s. My first record came out probably in 95 or 96. And you've got a bunch of albums. How many albums have you made? Like seven, eight albums? I've made seven complete records to date. That's right. You have a new album out called Testament. Has it officially been released yet? Yes, it was just released a few days ago. We just received the CDs. Congratulations. It's a wonderful album. Uh, I've gotten to know it pretty well, and you've done some great work on it. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. It's getting good reviews. I'm glad to hear that. Now, I don't know if I should bring this up or not, but I'm going to throw caution to the wind. J.D. Coy is not your real name. Are we allowed to say what your real name is? That's fine. It's not my real name. It's my stage name. Your real name is Chris Craft. That's correct. Now, I think Chris Craft is a really cool name. Like, everybody in music seems to do something with their name. I'm Rick Z. My real name is Zanante, but nobody remembers Zanante, so I've always been Rick Z. But Rick Z is essentially derivative of my real name. I keep thinking of this guy, Albert Calbert. You may know him better as Lionel Richie. I heard Albert Calbert was his real name. I don't know if that's true or not, but if my name was Albert Calbert, I would certainly switch to the infinitely cooler Lionel Richie, but Chris Kraft is a cool name. Why do you need J.D. Coy, and what does that name represent? At the time I came up with that, I just always cherished my privacy and anonymity, and I never wanted to be known by my real name. So the origin for that was I had a friend of mine pass away, and his initials were J.D., and if I maintained my privacy, I thought I'd go with the word Coy, which I happen to be in many ways. Very private, you know, aloof at times, but certainly not deceitful. So I just put that together one time, and I just kept it ever since. It works. It's a cool name also. I like both names. Listening to all this stuff, getting to know it, I realize there's a really strong spiritual sense about your music. It seems to infiltrate your music on just about all of your albums. Would you consider this stuff Christian music, or do you not label yourself like that? Oh, no, I definitely do not label myself like that. You know, I started like everybody else as a rock and roller, R&B, blues music, things of that nature, and just sort of went down that path as I got older and made a few more records. But I would not label myself as Christian music. The content may have a religious component to it, but I'm not ready for that moniker just yet. I don't think that applies wholeheartedly. Why is there so much spirituality in your music? I mean, it seems to be all-pervasive on almost all of it, particularly the new album. Is there a reason for that? Well, I think the reason for me is when I write a song, I try to write something that's realistic that people can appreciate. So I never held myself out as a really strong vocalist. With that in mind, I always try to make up for lack of vocal prowess with uh, lyrical content. And I think it's a good, strong lyrical content that most people can relate to if they take the time to listen to our material. And as I've gotten older and a bit wiser uh, on Testament, I just decided to write an entirely spiritual type album yet with a rock and roll R&B backbeat to it. And you mentioned the lyrics. The lyrics on this album are very good. I pay particular interest to lyrics. When I write lyrics, it takes me months. I could write a song every day if it weren't for the lyrics, but the lyrics really slow me down and 
I'm always kind of focused on them. I noticed they're quite good on this album. Are you influenced by other strong lyricists? I guess. The, the fellows in the band tell me I'm a very good lyricist, so I try to pay attention to it. I try not to waste words at all, and I try not to repeat them, but yet at the same time have a coherent song from beginning to end. Mm. Uh, of course, I'm influenced by all the great singer-songwriters, Bob Dylan, Paul McCartney, Neil Young, Jerry Garcia, that sort of thing. As of late, I've been listening to a lot of Bob Dylan records, Shot of Love, Save, Slow Train, Coming. And so I thought when I would write Testament, I would write it along the lines of a saved record, which 30 or 40 years later is still very influential to me. So that's the path I went down and the fellows in the band don't seem to mind one bit. Well, Dylan's name's going to come up again during this interview. As I listen to your music, there are Dylan references in my mind. Saved certainly is one of them, Slow Train Coming. I'd love our listeners to hear what you sound like and catch a bit of this. Can we play something? Sure, that'd be great. I'd love to play Operator, if you don't mind. That's the first cut off of Testament. It's one of my favorites. Let's check that out.
feel so much better Never find her With a letter Made my confession To a perfect stranger Heaven sent switchboard Operator That's a great tune. It's not the first time that that song has been played on the show, believe it or not. I believe we played that for either John Platania's show or we, we may have done it for Gary's, I forget. But that's one of my favorites. What was the inspiration behind that song? That was the first song I had written for Testament. Um, when I committed to writing the album, I think we recorded in the fall and I started writing it in May. I wrote that song in about 15 minutes. I usually write one rock and roll song for every record I make. On the last record we had done, I had written a tune called Prophet Jones. On this one, I wrote Operator. It's upbeat, backup singers, horn section. I'm not exactly sure why I decided to write the song entitled Operator, but it seemed to work out in the end, and it seems to be a, a favorite tune from those that have heard the record so far. You seem to have a strong blues sense in your recordings. Is that fair to say? Oh, sure. I love the blues like everybody else that sings and writes a good song. I'm influenced by all the blues players. I know you mentioned Dylan. Dylan, to my ears, he's essentially a, a blues singer. I mean, a lot of people don't think of him as a blues singer because he's so much more than that. But when I listen to his albums, it's a lot of blues structures, and particularly his last 10 albums or so. That must have been somewhat of an influence on your music, being a fan. Oh, absolutely. I've been a Bob Dylan fan since I was a kid. How could you not? I think every singer-songwriter wants to be like Bob Dylan, uh, the manner in which he writes, the lyrics that he writes, the word choices that he uses, his song structure. It's perfect. There's nobody better. Yeah. So I often go down that path and try to do the same thing. And that's what I try to do on Testament. Now, J.D. Coy is a musician, but Chris Kraft, I heard this somewhere. I didn't do any research on this part of your life, but... I don't know if this is a rumor or if I'm accurate, but you're a judge. Is that true? That's correct. That's you are a judge. An ugly rumor, but it's true. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you amass such a large body of work since 95 and be a judge at the same time? I imagine that's demanding work that takes up a lot of your time. And how do you balance those two things? Well, for me, it's easy. If you look at the timeline, I commit to making a record when Gary tells me to. <laughs> and so I do it in a couple of months. I do them very quickly. I don't play all the time. I don't record all the time. So if I decide to make a record, we go ahead and get that done. And it could be months or years between the next one. And so with the last record, I think I committed to do it in May. And I was essentially done with it by August or September. And we recorded it in two days. We record very quickly. I don't do a lot of takes. None of those songs on Testament are more than two or three takes. And so I record my records in two days. 
and then the horn section and backup singers is another session day that I'm usually not involved in. And in fact, the last record that we did, uh, Pretend No More, we recorded that essentially live, horns at the same time. And we did five tracks each day, 10 songs in total, and that album was done in two days. That's incredible. I mean, it sounds like you worked on the album for months. I mean, it's, it's such a full album. You, you mean to tell me it's essentially a couple of sessions? Yeah, the basic tracks, the uh, vocals, guitar, bass, piano, drums, uh, those are done in two days. The horn sections come in, the backup singers come in. That would be another day, maybe two at most. But we have done records. I know Pretend No More was done essentially live. Uh, five songs a day because I remember looking at the horn section in between my vocals watching them play So Gary tried that trick and uh, it worked pretty good. We don't like to do a lot of takes We think you lose the energy of the song if you do a lot of takes. Mm, that's a good point That's unbelievable, you know to to make an album like that It's probably the best way to make an album because it stays fresh and you save a lot of money on studio time as well So that's great. What gets top priority the law per se, or your music career? I mean, you, you've had to maintain a living. Do you ever have to choose? No, never. I, I work in that field to pay my bills and raise my family. And at night and on the weekends, if I want to play, that's what I'll do. And if I decide to make an album, I just reach out to Gary. He uh, assembles the band. And once it's committed with the studio time, which may be six months hence, then I know what's going to happen. Then I'll go ahead and write the album. And then I'll call John and we'll work it out at the kitchen table, literally. And then in today's day and age, we can send audio files or MP3s to each other. And then we get to the studio and the songs are essentially ready to go. Gary charts them out and we have at it. That's how we do it. That's a great system that you have. Uh, I love that. I wish I could make albums like that instead of taking 10 years to make every one. So that, <laughs> that would be really helpful. You'll have to show me how that works sometime. I'm very interested in your songwriting. You, you've got a wide range of uh, topics that you talk about. And there's one song. It was it's such a, a wild, compelling song. It's about demons. It, it's got some guitar playing on it. That's great. You have this other one. I think it's from the This and That album about Jesse James. I find that really interesting, too. I mean, where do you find the material to write? What, what inspires you? Where, where do you get your ideas from? Uh, most of my material comes from uh, conversations, interactions with people, and movies. Jesse James was written in the eyes of Jesse James' father. I do recall that. It's called uh, Jesse's Dad. It's on an album called This and That. And that song was recorded with NRBQ backing me. And I think that song was recorded in Brattleboro, Vermont at Sound Design. Uh, with an engineer named Billy Shaw. I was good friends with the members of NRBQ and they backed me on a couple of tracks and I think that's one of them because that album I had produced, played with a lot of different musicians and I know NRBQ was on that album and I'm more than certain that Jesse's Dad is from that session. And as for Demons, I think it's on that album too. I'm not sure who played on that one. I know David Sanchez was on that album and Tony Levin was on that album. Uh, Levon Helm is on that album. I know the members of NRBQ were on that album. I had a different group of backup singers at that time. I had some backup singers from a gospel church out of Poughkeepsie, New York, that I used to play with all the time. I know they're on that record. So usually my songs stem from old movies. Uh, there's a song that I wrote on one of my records called Room 34, and that just came to me in a quick snapshot when I was watching the movie The Sting. There's a scene where the members in that movie were gambling, and when they opened up the door, it was room 34. 
So that's how that song came about. They come about in odd ways, but I do stick with it. Yeah, I'm a movie buff myself, and I can relate to that. I write songs based on movies. Sometimes it's the feeling I get from the movie, sometimes a line, sometimes something like Room 34. Something like that will happen to me while I'm watching a film, and it'll trickle down into the song. You don't get as many songs as you've recorded without visiting a lot of studios. Uh, you mentioned the one in Brattleboro. I know here in Kingston, across the river, Nevesa Studios, you've done some work there as well. The Clubhouse studio, one near and dear to my heart, that's where you recorded the latest album, Testament. Well, what was it like working at the Clubhouse? And let's just talk about Gary Burke for a second and what I like to call the Gary Burke team because he brings a lot of the same people to the table every time. I know you guys have done a lot of work. Gary and I have worked together, but you have worked with Gary a tremendous amount. I mean, you guys have made, what, five albums or something like that together? Yeah, that's about right. The last four records, I know we made those completely together. Well, I think it is five albums because I did an album with his band too, Professor Louie and the Chromatics back in the day. They backed me on a full record. And then I'm certain Gary did some session work for me on this and that because in this and that, we, we had a four piece. It was myself, Gary, Tony Levin and David Sanchez and we went out and did a couple of shows at that time I was playing with Levon Helm so the four of us played a couple of Midnight Rambles together and then after that I decided not to produce my own material it was too laborious and then hired Gary and he handled the last four albums for me and he assembled you know what I consider to be his band which is Graham Maybe, John Platania, Joel Diamond, Joel Diamond and himself and himself on drums sure not a bad team. No, it works out pretty good. Before we discovered Joel, or I should say before Gary brought Joel up here, Danny Lewis had played for us on um, Betrayed by a Kiss. I think he played on eight or nine tracks, and then there were one or two tracks left over, and we reached out to David Sanchez, who had played with us before from the This and That sessions, and he came in and finished those up with us. Danny Lewis, for those of you listening who don't recognize that name, he plays piano for Government Mule. He's in Warren Haynes' band. He's a great musician. He's married to another great musician, Michonne Taylor, who's a phenomenal session vocalist. You've worked with a, a bunch of people. NRBQ, you mentioned them before. Terry Adams from NRBQ, he produced something of yours, didn't he? Terry Adams produced my very first record uh, back in the day. I was in a group called the Barnyard Animals. I was friends with those fellas and I was good friends with the horn section wanted to make some music Terry indicated he would come down for that but he wouldn't come down if we were just going to do cover songs so that segued into my songwriting because I wanted to make the material but I didn't want to lose the opportunity to get him here so I wrote some material we did an album called Less Is More and we did that at Nevesa in Woodstock and he produced that album for us and his drummer Tommy Ardolino uh, played for me and then he produced a few tracks on, I think, my third album, This and That. It's very good to me. Introduced me to a lot of good people. Well, NRBQ, for one thing, they've, they, they cast a big shadow around here. They've had a big influence, a lot of musicians here in the Hudson Valley. How do you know those guys? How did that first uh, get together, you and Terry Adams and the whole crew? There were a couple of older folks that lived around the corner from me. Their names were the McGills, and I used to take care of them. And... A couple members from NRBQ, NRBQ live next door, so I used to hear all the music come out of the house, the Muddy Waters, the Howlin' Wolf, the early Rolling Stones, and I'd become friends with Don, who is uh, Terry's brother. Started to play with him a little bit. He played the trombone. Those guys were always in and out of the house, so I ran into Spompanato and Ardolino and then Terry, 
And then by the time I, I got around to seriously thinking about making a record, I think Terry was living in Vermont or Massachusetts, but we were just friends. And so he decided to come down and he did. And uh, we made a decent record, thanks to him. And we had a really good drummer. Tommy Ardolino was a terrific rock and roll drummer. This album, Testament, by the way, I mean, is this among your best work? Or, or can you not make that decision yourself? Well, I always like to think that what I do next is always the best. Yeah. I always strive to do something different and better than I did before. And so if I didn't make Testament, I would have to say Pretend No More was better than Dusk to Dawn. And if I didn't make Pretend No More, I'd have to say Dusk to Dawn was better than Betrayed by a Kiss and so on. And that's usually what the musicians tell me after I'm finished is that this particular project is your best so far. And so the word I'm getting now about Testament is that it is our best work so far. But it's not just me. I'm in a terrific band and I couldn't do anything without them.
play live a lot? No, I don't. I used to quite a bit. The last time I played any original material would be back in the day of the Midnight Ramble uh, when Levon Helm was still alive. I had done some work with him for maybe a year, year and a half when I was playing the guitar before I switched over to piano. Uh, that was around the time that I was doing this and that. And uh, I was working with Tommy Artolino, who was going out on the road for an extended period of time with NRBQ. And I had gotten a call at uh, my house. My wife actually picked up the phone and said it was Levon Helm who turned out to be a fan and uh, offered up his services to help me finish the record. Wow. So we did some session work together. Once that album came out, that's when I was working with David Sanchez, Tony Levin, and Gary Burke. So we did play a few Midnight Rambles, uh, two Midnight Rambles with that ensemble, and that was a real thrill. It's a good venue. It was sold out, and it was a nice way to play your original music. I used to be in a cover band like every other musician, so... I spent quite a bit of time doing that, but I don't do that anymore. How come you don't? It's it's a function of time for me. I'm a very busy man. And then I found myself actually being bored with covering brown sugar and things of that nature. It just didn't it just didn't move me anymore. So what moves me now are songs like I've written for Testament, things with deep meaning that someone might want to listen to and study, versus me going out on the piano and doing a song that I've done a hundred times before. Well, say for the odd Bob Dylan cover that you might have on an album, I mean, you've got so much original material, you could just be an all-original band and not have to play Brown Sugar even once. Well, that's true. We've talked about it, but as you folks know, the nightclub scene has drastically changed. Don't I know it. The, the expense with getting your band out there and, and getting that done and getting people in there to listen to it, it doesn't really quite fit administratively. So I'm in Ulster County, Gary's in Ulster, John's in Dutchess. Graham, I think, now is living in New York. Joel lives in Brooklyn. Our horn section is scattered all about. And the one thing we do is we're very loyal to each other. I would not be interested in going out with anyone else other than the original band members. So we've never really administratively been able to put that together. If there was an opportunity where we could put it together, I'm more than certain that we would. You know, a lot of names come up on this show over and over again, week after week. Gary Burke's name has come up a lot, John Platania's, Paul Antonell, uh, a bunch of people. But nobody's name has come up more than Levon Helm. A lot of musicians in this area have their own Levon stories, but not a lot of their music has been championed by Levon. Yours has. How close did you and Levon get? Uh, very, actually. After he had called me, the night that he called me, I actually went out to his place in a driving rainstorm. I think it was in 1999. And I was playing guitar then, so I took a, a Fender Champ and a Les Paul. And this was before the Midnight Rambles. The Midnight Ramble wasn't even a thought then. That came out a couple years later, as I recall. But nonetheless, he had a drum kit there, so we met each other. We played for a couple hours. We spent time doing just mid uh, standards. Uh, we did, uh, you know, Stormy Monday, things of that nature, Come Rain or Come Shine, That's Life. He loved all the same, same songs I liked became instant friends and so we did some session work and there's a song on one of my albums called rosemary no uh, it's on this and that i believe yeah and he loved that song he counts it off i, I can hear levon counting that song off is he playing drums on it i believe so yeah you you have levon helm on one of your songs that's got to feel great yeah and i know he's also on uh, a bob dylan cover gotta serve we had uh taken a mobile unit to his studio because he didn't have his studio up and running then and we had a day where we did some cover songs. We covered a lot of Bob Dylan material, and he really liked my backup singers at the time. 
So when the session was ending, we decided to do one more song, and we did Gotta Serve, which ended up on one of our albums, and it's the only take that we did. Uh, I play the clavinet, my backup singers were there, and he always liked that. So when the rambles came around, he always gave me an opportunity to play. But he didn't want us to come in there and do cover songs, so when this and that came out, I was with a four-piece, and we went in there, and he let us come back um, a few weeks after the first show. It was really nice of him. This always seemed like a really nice guy, too. Well, there's a story with that. We had practiced quite a bit, and the first show that we did, we did not perform well on the last tune. But since that was part of the session work that Levon was working with me on, he knew it. So when I woke up the next morning, he was on my answering machine telling us to get back there for a Christmas concert. That was a Thanksgiving concert. So we were always very appreciative of that because I'm not sure the crowd knew that we blew the song, mm -hmm. but he did. And so we went back and did the Christmas show. Uh, I don't think we missed a note. We were locked right on and played that one pretty good. It was real nice of him. It sounds like it. Uh, just an enigmatic guy, uh, a kind soul, the late, great Levon Helm. Now, our time is starting to wind down a little bit here, J.D., but, man, we, we still got a lot more to talk about. I have a whole bunch of questions about the new album. I really want to get inside that new album testament and talk about it, but we need more time. Would you be willing to come back next week and continue this conversation with us? Oh, sure. I'd be glad to. Thank you. I would really appreciate that. Well, put a pin in it for the moment. Hold on, and we'll be back before you know it. You're listening to The Rick Z Show. I'm your host, Rick Z. Don't forget to come back next week for part two with J.D. Coy. And we'll see you then.